social history with absolutely no tasting notes. I'm Tim and I'm joined in the virtual pub by my drinking buddy Illyri. Illyri, what are you drinking and thinking about today? Hello, I am thinking about quarantine, which is why I am drinking a quarantini, which is uh, not something I'm going to take credit for myself. Uh, I saw it on Instagram, Russell Kane has been drinking them. And a quarantini is neat vodka with a vitamin C tablet popped in. I mean, so I'm just gonna go ahead and do that. Come on, let's let's see if we can pick up this um, auditory abomination. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I heard a plink. I heard a plink, and I can see some minor fizzing. It's like yeah. even the vitamin C tablet knows it doesn't want to be there. I know. <laughs> so the worst thing is, is that I had to dig these vitamin C tablets out of the bag of stuff that I only ever take to Glastonbury with me. It's the kind of stuff that my, I only put in my body when it's on death's door. <laughs> so the fact that I'm now mixing that with neat vodka, I don't think this is going to go down well. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I really don't know what to say about it, is the truth. So obviously we, we, we decided to go for quarantini because it's a pun. And um, we're in quarantine and martini is a drink. Because uh, yes, it is, it is that time. I interpreted that as we were going to respectably drink martinis. I didn't think you were going to go the full quarantini. I have got a delightfully coloured... Um, gin martini with a Torino vermouth in a martini class, and it looks beautiful. You, <laughs> I've got some powder and fizz in the bottom of a wine glass of vodka. <laughs> I mean, and they say opposites attract. I think this is why we're such good friends. <laughs> and, and yeah, I'm still disgusted by you. <laughs> so, I, mean, uh, you I really want to know how it tastes. Are you going to wait for the whole thing to dissolve? Yeah, because that is a lot of vodka otherwise. Yeah, okay. Well, when you're ready, like whatever state we're talking about, just stop and let us know how it goes. I'm going to yeah. have a sip of mine first though. It does look nice. I'm jealous. I mean, I said no tasting notes, but it is. It's great. Um, quarantini, would you like to know, uh, should we talk about quarantine or martini first? Um, I'm pretty done with quarantine, so let's talk about martini. Okay, let's talk about martini then. So I think when it comes to cocktails, everyone always wants to know the origin. And the answer is always, we don't really know. Um, <laughs> And I think <laughs> I think it's primarily because there's this ongoing historical tension between America and Britain, like who came up with it first. There seem to be um, individual stories that grow separately in both countries, and you're never quite sure whether one came first, they both came at the same time, they influenced each other. So I think any stories of this kind when it comes to cocktails, you kind of have to go, hmm we think it's this but we're not entirely sure 
I think what we do know is that um, it, it definitely reached its heyday in the 1920s uh, during Prohibition. And one of the reasons for that is that gin, and we're talking gin martini in the original, obviously you can have a vodka martini and they become more popular later on, particularly in the 90s, um, is that gin was so easy for them to produce illegally during Prohibition. And it's the mm-hmm. reason why when you look at the original recipes, it starts off with six to one gin to vermouth. And then it gets, the amount of vermouth gets lower and lower and lower and lower from the, from the dry martinis, dry vermouth, until you end up with these, like a lot of, um, a lot of modern people will only have like 50 to one or 100 to one vermouth. They'll just rim the glass, uh, as it were. Actually, but it goes kind of further back than that, like for certain tastes, like Noel Coward, he said, a perfect martini should be made by filling a glass with gin and waving it to the general direction of Italy. So, um, where, <laughs> thanks. Where, where do you stand on the like ratio of vermouth? Are you a vermouth fan? I love it. Actually, I used to drink it weirdly as a teenager. I loved it. Do you know what? Exactly the same. I love yeah. vermouth so much. I used to just drink vermouth. And even now, yeah. I definitely favour the six to one kind of ratio yeah. uh, above the prohibition. Love so it. Yeah. The six to ones, well, we think, we think, probably, as I say, with all of these things, it comes from the 1860s um, and it is mm-hmm. most likely American, um, the martini, because, when you think about it, um, it comes from Martinez, uh, which is in San Francisco, California. Yes. So either from the town Martinez or from a barman in Martinez who introduced it in a San Francisco hotel. Um, the first mention of it we find is 1887 um, in Jerry Thomas's Bartender's Guide. How to mix all kinds of plain and fancy drinks. You have to say it like that because it's got them a fancy in it. Um, Listen to that woman, get all fat and sassy. Get all fat and sassy, <laughs> plain and fancy drinks. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so we think it's 1860s. It, it, it gains popularity in Prohibition because people can make gin kind of easily at home under illegal conditions uh, yeah. and, and the, the vermouth has been getting less and less but we think that's where it comes from i think um, it needs to come back come back it needs, to, it needs a comeback i think i'm not people sure are well, getting tired of gin people are getting a bit tired of the old gin um craft beers only got a matter of time before everyone's fed up a craft beer <laughs> See, I agree with you in the sense of a classic, you know, 1860s martini, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, with, with gin and vermouth and maybe some bitters and some maraschino. But I do think that the martini just, because it's so simple, kept evolving. So you have the vodka martinis in the 90s. Espresso martinis are still everywhere. Like most of the coffee yeah, shops, I mean, yeah. I know I live in a fancy area, but most of the coffee shops serve espresso martinis as well as having coffee. Yeah. So you can sneakily get away with one for breakfast um but yeah i think i think in other firms um apple teenies as well in the 2000s there were loads of those going around probably because of scrubs yes but there are lots of teenies just not necessarily the original martini i suppose there is the cocktail bar dirty martini yes exactly and do you know do you know what a dirty martini is as opposed to a a dry martini or a perfect martini i know that there's something to do with it being the first ever mixed cocktail legally. I've heard that Winston Churchill's first ever cocktail slash legal concoction was a dirty martini. Um, 
I have not been able to find anything out about that. I know that. Um, um, I know that. The, well, a dirty martini is with olive brine or olive juice. So it makes yes. it dirty because it's salty. And I love a martini full of olives. Um, dry martinis with vermouth, with, with dry. And then a perfect martini is a mix of sweet and dry vermouth. Mm. But I have not heard of this, um, this Churchill fact. It's probably, when you talk about legalities, it's probably something to do with weights and measurements. Because we never had any kind of, well, unless you go like right back to gin craze times, we didn't have any legislation against gin in yeah. the century. But it might have been around weights and measurements because we do like order. <laughs> ah, well, I'm I've just had a very quick cheeky look online, and mm -hmm. the only thing I have found is a quote: um, "A quirky and complicated man, Winston Churchill was known for his love of libations. When asked how he would like his gin martini prepared, he replied, "I would like to observe the vermouth from across the room while I drink the martini." Yeah. So quite the opposite to us, really. But that is that attitude I was talking about after the 20s of less and less yeah. belief and Noel Coward. And as I suppose it was seen as a sort of more refined thing for some reason. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember who told me the whole Dirty Martini thing was uh, Churchill. Hmm. So the other yeah. thing about it being perhaps a sign of class was yeah. because... Um, you know, in difficult times like prohibition and, um, you know, around the time of the gin craze and stuff, gin was being made legally and it tasted gross because, you know, they weren't making it properly, it was pure, they were putting all sorts of horrible stuff in there. And so yeah. why so many cocktails uh, were made with it? Because they just wanted to put, you know, flavours in that would mask the taste of the horrible gin. That's why you get the Tom Collins where they put sugar and lemon in with the original kind of gin craze old Tom. It's why you get... Yeah. Actually, I was going to say it's why you get uh, gin and tonic. That's actually backwards. It was um, in colonial India to prevent malaria, people were drinking high levels of quinine, which tasted gross. And so then they put gin with the quinine to mask the flavour. But I was thinking, you know, there was probably like a real re-emergence of poor quality gin um, around prohibition time. And I suppose vermouth would have masked that. And so drinking less vermouth was probably a sign that you were drinking more quality gin. Maybe that's why. Okay. Yeah, maybe. That yeah. Be my theory. Um, so talking about homemade gin. Yes. Just going to stop you there. There's a lot of snoring in my end. Is it an issue? <laughs> <laughs> and what's the snoring? I think it's a Bailey. And what's a Bailey? Bailey is my dog. <laughs> <laughs> so I have two King Charles Cavaliers who spend roughly 19 hours a day sleeping mm -hmm. um, and they snort really 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 loudly um, <laughs> I don't think I, I've yet to complete a work call a zoom quiz anything without having to apologize for my dog snoring have they been so, on the gin that's the question uh, no, they've been on the banana bread pup cakes today. Uh, a friend of mine had baked some and left some on my doorstep and they devoured them. Uh, and all that excitement was clearly too much and they've gone back to sleep. <laughs> well, I'm not, I, I mean, I can't argue with that. <laughs> I'm not going to wake them. <laughs> Let okay. them snore. I think we can cope Let with it. Snore. Okay. Aww. So yes, back to Bath of Gin. Homemade yeah. booze. 
so bathtub gym um so that was the the common name given to like the homemade spirits in amateur conditions around prohibition time which is you know mm -hmm. it's, it's poor quality gin question for you do you think it was really made in bathtubs um no you would be right to think no um because it wouldn't work basically um <laughs> distillation <laughs> that you need to make gin uh yeah. means you have to it has to be closed yeah um, i'm guessing you can't have the can't have it out in the open no it wouldn't it just wouldn't work so um it's not likely to be true that any kind of booze was made in bathtubs no matter how many times we saw you know james cagney doing it or what's the name from from annie that woman she did it <laughs> the one off of annie the one off of annie and james cagney those are the only two people i could think of that were involved in bathtub gin um i mean yeah you know like you, you need a big container but it, it just wouldn't work there is um yeah. there is a mate called bathtub gin from abel yes i've had it so. I've had you it. have yeah i like it it's very yeah. nice let me see so obviously it's not made in the bathtub but um <laughs> the reason they've sort of called it that is well obviously a marketing throwback but they they do um compounding or infusing to get the flavor so rather than the big sort of distilling towers, you know, where, where they pass yeah. the, uh, the the distilled gin through juniper and all that sort of stuff, they they can kind of like dump it in. So it's a bit like the old pots and it infuses. And that's why it, yeah. kind of like, it feels like it's a bathtub gin. Nice. In quarantine. Yes. Oh, um, Miss Hannigan, I just remembered her name. It was gonna <laughs> bug me if I didn't get that out. Miss Hannigan from Annie. Yeah. Played by Carol Burnett. <laughs> like a walk in IMDb. Yeah, right. It's it's all in there somewhere. Um, so in quarantine, have you been tempted to uh, make yourself some bathtub gin? Um, not gin. Well, actually, my friends, uh, we were discussing um, <clears throat> making our own gin because a friend of mine had ordered some craft beer online, which had subsequently been nicked by the Hermes guy. <laughs> so he was furious, absolutely furious. He had a, um, a notification to say that his package had been delivered. And when he went online to see where they'd left it, they'd supposed to provide a photo. There was just a, a blank photo. There was nothing there. So the Hermes guy had just done a runner with his beers. Um, and these are friends who are in complete self-isolation because they're in the vulnerable category, so they can't leave the house at all. So they're really, really annoyed that they can't get any beers without the delivery guy nicking them. So they were saying they were going to make their own gin. So uh, I'm not tempted to try it. Um, I've been to a few distilleries and I've seen the process and I know that I can't be trusted with that amount of organisation. <laughs> <laughs> I love that the thing stopping you is organization as opposed to the fact that it's illegal. Ah, well, <laughs> it's a good job we didn't name your friends. So, um, two weeks uh, social distancing. So, yeah. we can't... <laughs> so, the law is um, well, distillation, you need a license. If you're yes. going to do any kind of distilling, you have to have a license. For home brewing, so fermenting, you know, beers, mm -hmm. ciders, that kind of thing. For fermenting, uh, it is legal if it's for personal use um, and you make it small batches, but obviously not if you're going to sell it or, you know, 
open it yeah. as a business or anything. But yeah, distilling is definitely not acceptable. <laughs> yeah, I went down there. Um, I've been to one of the distilleries down in West Wales and it's owned by a Dutch guy um, who also makes cheese there. Um, but he was trying to, like many, many moons ago, before the microbrewery and distillery laws came into place, he spent a lot of time kind of campaigning and in Parliament trying to get that passed. Uh, and when it finally happened, that not all thanks to him, but he played a big part in it, um, he didn't actually have the money to get a distillery set up. And so he kind of missed the boat a bit because the likes of Sip Smith Jim got in there first. Um, but he's doing very well now. They're the guys that do the seaweed gin. Mm, how do you pronounce yeah. that one? I know how it's spelled. It's Darmil, I think. Darmil. D-A-M-H-I-L-E. Darmil. Yeah. 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 So he, um, he came to Wales looking for somewhere more affordable for him to make his lovely cheese mm -hmm. um, and I don't think he'd considered Wales but he got here and he saw obviously the the landscape and the livestock and everything here so how beautiful it was exactly and he decided to come and make his cheese here but then it was apparently a Christmas tradition for him to always give his neighbours um, an organic whiskey a local mm -hmm. organic which is when he then realised that he couldn't do that here so he started making organic whiskey and then obviously that takes a lot longer yeah. to produce money so he's still doing the whiskey but just have a bit of money in the meantime he's gone on the old gin do you know doing i well. have an incredibly similar story in my area there's a there's a mm. fairly well-known um gin maker called jensen and um he uh, he he started his because he couldn't find a gin he liked and he wanted to make his own, you know, like just for him. Um, yeah. And employed a distiller to do a recipe that that he liked, um, that he'd found. <laughs> and it was it was for an old Tom version, actually. Then uh, obviously they have to make it in a minimum batch. So he made enough, like got a lot, had to get licensed as a <laughs> as a gin maker just because he wanted his own gin to drink. But he made so much of it that he was like, I can't drink all this started selling it to friends and family we gave it away to friends and family mm -hmm. and then started selling it people were like can we get more and more and that's how we founded his business he's actually a yeah, software we... developer he lives like in Bermondsey just around the corner um he's a software developer yeah. by day still but he comes in like once a week to run Jensen gin and just made it because it's a gin he likes to drink so good imagine being that particular about your booze that you're like no I'm gonna make my own <laughs> I mean it's the dream isn't it really and do you know yeah. why there's such a strong Dutch connection with gin. I don't know. So um, the progenitor of gin really is Jennifer, um, uh -huh. coming, from, coming from Juniper um, in Netherlands. And um, they drank a lot of it when we were, when this country was being ruled by, by the Dutch, by William of Orange, William III and Mary. Um, obviously English soldiers were fighting with the Dutch against, you know, other smelly Europeans, uh, like Spain. <laughs> Sorry, Spain. Uh, we're going to do a nice podcast about Spain one day. Um, and um, so the, the uh, English were given Genevas uh, to drink, you know, in the army, and they called it Dutch Courage. That's where we get that phrase from. And then there's this whole other story that we'll do another time in the gin craze about why it was 
um, a good strategic move to get um, the English drinking gin as opposed to imported French brandies. Um, but yeah, big, big history of gin between both uh, the English and the Dutch when we shared ruler. Nice. Yes. I think my quarantine is ready. Please give it a taste. It looks, I mean, it's gone a sort of controversial pink. Yes, it looks like something from outer space. I thought this was an orange kind of Barocca type tablet, but it's mm -hmm. a raspberry. So it's fluorescent pink. Okay. <laughs> I had no idea <laughs> such things existed. Please tell me it is just vitamins and it's not like a Lemsip. I should check that really. <laughs> <laughs> no one it wants an alcoholic paracetamol drink. A thousand milligrams of vitamin C. Okay, great. Suitable vegetarians. Mm -hmm. so. Go on, sip, sip it up. We want, we want to know. I just want to see your reaction, really. <laughs> I really, really don't want to drink this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm going in. It's um, it's not as bad as I thought. It's, <laughs> it's not great. Praise it's not indeed. great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it's like vodka with sherbet in it. Yeah, <laughs> really. I mean that's what it looks like. So some some other quarantinis I've seen have um, uh, like ground up the vitamin pill and then put it on the rim like salt on a glass. Wow. I mean, it's stupid, isn't it? <laughs> I've, seen, um, I've seen a lot of people in quarantine. Um, I think this is just probably a Welsh thing because I think it's a Welsh brand that I've done quite well. It's a premium mm -hmm. brand of vodka, AU vodka, and it's the vodka that comes in the solid, like, gold-looking bottle. And it's made from grapes, so it's... Like a purple coloured vodka and everyone's lapping that up at the moment. I've not tried it, but I'm going to get some. Nice. But I'm not Future. a big, big vodka fan anyway. So, but No, I think we, we're going to have to address that at some point because I'm not either, but I feel like there's something we need to discover about it to, to turn us onto it. Yeah, I don't think dropping vitamin C tablets in it was a good start. That's really. probably not the way. <laughs> it's probably not the way to make things better. <laughs> Okay, um, so I feel like we should give at least some quarantine facts before we, uh, I was gonna say before we head out, I mean not out obviously, but of the episode. Yes. All right, so okay. um, quarantine means 40 days. Essentially that was the period of time that um, ships- I'm gonna call, there. I'm gonna call bullshit to that <laughs> because how many days have I been stuck in this house? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how many has it? I mean, officially, how many has it been yet? 40 days? Uh, it's it's definitely been longer than that. When did we start? Mid-March? Yeah, it was about the 17th of March, I think. Yeah. Um, we've already done 13 April. And it's there should have been an official quarantine day when we hit 40. Oh, damn, we've, we've clearly missed that, haven't we? I we know. Did one, let's say, I think maybe the 18th. Was it the Monday the 18th of... No, wait, I'm looking at me. Goodness <laughs> Too much vodka. You know what, do you know what makes great podcasting? Listen to someone look at their calendar. 
Yeah, I'm trying to just <laughs> work out. I think, let's say it was 10 days in March, 30 days. Yeah, we've definitely done the We have surpassed it recently. So, yeah. And yet we're not out of it. Um, well, so originally the, the, the first example of, it wasn't quarantine, it was Trentino, which was 30 days of isolation. Um, and that mm -hmm. was in Dalmatia, which is now modern day Dubrovnik in Croatia. And that was in 1977. Isn't it lovely? Mm. Go to Dubrovnik. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then, so that was in 1377, then kind of later on, four, four, still 14th century, 15th century, uh, Venice is saying we're going to take it up to 40 days because obviously they had a lot of ship trade and they've got the Black Death emerging as their plague. So they did 40 days quarantining. Um, we take that on in this country and, and in France and stuff when the um, the plague arrives in the 17th century. So 1663 was our first quarantine year uh, in mm -hmm. this country, in Britain. And then obviously Great Fire happened in 1666, killed a lot of the problems. So, you know, mm -hmm. that ended. Um, we had quarantining. Uh, oh, and by the way, all the way through this, in case you thought like the stupid people who object to it, who want to riot and say that vaccines don't work, that's always <laughs> happened. Like every oh. example through history, look at quarantine, there's a riot, particularly with the cholera um, epidemic in the 18th century, because they just had the French Revolution. And yeah. people were very used to taking to the streets and being like not liking being told what to do and being ruled over. So when they were like, hey, we've got cholera, we've, you know, quarantine and vaccines are a really good idea. They were like, no, we demand our freedoms. And it's just always been like that. <laughs> and then you get the influenza um, pandemic in the early 20th century. You know, they, they killed a lot of people. And all of those times we've tried quarantine. But um, the more scientists were able to identify pathogens and sort of say, oh, this is how spreading actually happens, the more resistant people have been to quarantining because they're like, well, can't you just solve it for us then rather than staying in quarantine? Because yeah. when they first started it, they didn't even know what was, you know, contagious. They just sort yeah. of said, oh, it's miasmas. And as long as we ventilate it, they'll go away. But of course, within a period of 40 days, all the fleas that were spreading the plague had died. So uh, that's what was really working. But it is interesting to look at uh, how it's always been effective, but always been resisted. <laughs> How about access to beer? So I tried to look, I tried to find some actual statistics on people's drinking habits during quarantine. Like, had it really increased? Did it really decrease? Like, what was the truth behind it? I can't find yeah. any good information. It's also mixed. It's also biased. Um, yeah. The studies I've seen, I think the only consistent thing I've seen is that people are drinking more in the weekdays, but less at the weekend. That seems to be the only thing that's probably true. So people are more spread mm -hmm. out because the days essentially mean nothing. Well, I'm, I'm always one to go against the grain. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. Um, I do tend to drink a bit more on a Friday night because that's every, every Friday night I do a quiz for my friends. And so we do all tend to get a bit carried away on a Friday night. Um, but I'm being quite good actually in the week. I have just been having it one or two. Yeah. See, I've, I found that I've very much relied on the opportunities to meet people online to indulge in drink. I mean, it's the entire reason we started this podcast because it gives us more of an excuse. Yeah. But yeah, I'm really only doing it like when I meet up for online games and online quizzes and still 
very much tying it to a social function. I think if it wasn't yeah. for that, I'd hardly be drinking at all. There's a few breweries near me who had a bunch of stock in kegs that they've had to convert into cans and then have to shift. So it's mm-hmm. quite great in that I've been supporting a lot more small businesses with my booze choices, which is quite nice. I normally just kind of include a bottle of Prosecco or wine or a gin or something in my Tesco shop. Whereas now I am, I, th- I guess it's because I'm on furlough and I'm not working. I'm on Instagram and social media more. Therefore I'm paying more attention to these small businesses who are crying out for custom. Um, and I feel more obliged to do that. So I have been ordering from local breweries and distilleries. And I heard uh, you had one very particularly fancy order. Um, yes. Was that my craft beer order? No. Or was it my... I don't know. <laughs> um, I've ordered a lot. <laughs> Verve Clico? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> This kind of this goes against the uh, the doing doing good and helping small businesses. Exactly. Um, I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, access to groceries is hard. So you have to grab a click and collect or delivery slot as and when they appear. Uh, my cousin's very good at getting them, and we've got like a little routine now where as soon as she sees a Tesco or Sainsbury's slot online she'll just order it for me and to cover the minimum cost of the basket which is about 40 quid she just fills the basket with champagne (laughs) and then she texts me she'll say hey got you a Tesco slot next Wednesday 2 p.m I've saved the slot with some champagne go for it so she did that for me on I think it was a Saturday last week and she forgot to tell me that she'd booked me the slot so she'd gone on to Tesco set an order to my house 2 p.m in the afternoon on a Saturday two bottles of champagne forgot to tell me and there I was minding my own business watching tv on a Saturday afternoon I actually watched the Tesco van pull up and thought to myself oh some lucky bastard's got a Tesco delivery and then my doorbell rang and I opened the door and there were two bottles of champagne on my doorstep. And even worse, the delivery guy was a friend of my husband's. So he now thinks I'm an absolute princess for delivering two bottles of champagne to my house on a Saturday afternoon during quarantine when everyone's desperate for shopping. Have you drunk them yet? (laughs) I've not. So me and my cousin have decided that as soon as uh, lockdown is lifted, we're going to get together and drink them and laugh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think that's a very good plan. Yeah. All right, well, um, certainly my, I don't know about your, uh, glasses run dry, which means it's time to disinfect the bathtub. Cheers. <laughs> All right, I'm going to end this. Yours. Hi. Hi. You can always hear me sing in this song. Show me the way to go home. Nope. <laughs>